The book of Isaiah, the little Bible, this is part six, and we're in Isaiah 50, verses four through nine, and it says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak, a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I am not rebellious, and I did not turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. You know, for most of us as Christians, our most intimate life with God is our devotional life. That's the time we spend communing with God and fellowshipping with our Lord. And it's a time of speaking to God as we pour out our hearts to him and as we pause and listen as God will communicate to us. It's a private time and a personal time we have with the Lord. Well, within these few verses that I just read just now, we get a glimpse into the very personal and private life of our Savior Jesus. We get to eavesdrop in on his private devotional life to the Father. And of course, this is a prophetic description of the devotional life between God the Father and the promised Messiah. And we get a chance to look into this very private life of Jesus as he communes and he fellowships with the Father in heaven. This here in Isaiah will help us understand Jesus better, to understand Jesus' relationship with the Father even better, and I believe it will help our own devotional life with the Father in heaven. You know this, but Christianity above all else is supremely a relationship with God. We Christians don't develop our religion with God. We develop our relationship with God. When we as Christians put our faith in Jesus Christ as the single and only way to eternal life, the Holy Spirit comes in us. And that's the means that gives us the capacity to have a relationship with God. Yet Christianity has made a way for us to know God as our Father and to know Jesus as our friend. Jesus gave the disciples the capacity to know God when he told them, this is how you pray, our Father which art in heaven. Address him as Father. Not as God, which is his title, but as Father, which indicates this important, incredible, supreme relationship that he has with us. And then Jesus told his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. There's a depth that we are to understand that we have in a relationship to the Father and to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself declared to the church in Ephesus something very important about this, about this establishing and maintaining a consistent relationship with him. For he says in Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Ephesus, he says, I know your works and your labor and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not come weary. You might be thinking when you hear about this church, you look, you're looking at this church thinking, man, this sounds like a really great church, a great description of a church and its activities, and it does sound great, but Jesus goes on to say this, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So this relationship aspect of Christianity was being crowded out, and listen, it's not by bad things, really, really good things in Christian service, but that Jesus is warning them that if they do not return to the relationship with him as a supreme part of their Christian experience, then he would remove the fullness of his presence in that church in spite of all the good things that they were doing. 
And why would Jesus do that? Well, Jesus is communicating to that church and to all churches, in essence, that he will not be a part or influence any church or any individual that would de-emphasize or ignores the fact that Christianity is supremely about a relationship with God. God didn't save us in order for us to ignore him. He did not save us supremely to establish a labor pool for his purposes in this world. He didn't save us to develop a social gospel or establish a political platform. He saved us supremely in order to have a personal relationship with us. And I also notice it talks about in our passages too that it's every day when Jesus says he awakens me morning by morning. And there in verse 4, it talks about the very beginning of that verse, it talks about the tongue of the learned, and at the very end of the verse, it talks about to hear as the learned. These are some important elements in a devotional life. I'm to speak as one who has learned things about God and his nature and his character in my devotional time. I speak as one who knows his heart and understands what he wills as I enter into my day. For that to happen, I must be one that hears as the learned. And in that time with God, I learn to hear him and then speak so I can have the tongue of the learned. You ever wondered how many words you might speak in a given day or words you would speak maybe in a given devotion that you have with God? I mean, what is the average words a person speaks on a given day? And of course, you know, we're all different. Some speak a lot. Some don't speak that much. But what would be the average? Now, you speak on the job. You speak with your kids, your spouse, your friends. You add in texting, emails, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. What is the average a person speaks on a given day? So for us as Christians, we want our words to count because we understand that words have an influence and can persuade. So we want to have learned speech, a tongue of a learned wise Christian. As Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We go out into this world. We represent God and his kingdom. We have a tongue that has been trained by God. And like an ambassador of the United States of America going off into another country, an ambassador knows that when they begin their day in that other country, they no longer enjoy the privilege of representing themselves. And it's in that that a person will be careful in what is coming out of their mouth where they are not representing themselves. They don't say things like what you see is what you get, not as an ambassador but we are representing something bigger than ourselves. How much more so as Christians? So our speech, basically, not only will represent ourselves, but it goes on ourselves to God himself. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 12. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that the, his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So where does Jesus get that? And I personally believe he gets that from his devotional life. Interesting story of one full day in the life of Jesus is recorded for us in Mark and in Matthew. But the day, the one full day in the, in the life of Jesus starts with him doing the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters in Matthew covers the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons Jesus ever preached. When Jesus finished that sermon, he went down that mountain and started heading towards Capernaum, the city. It was about a mile away. As he's coming down from the mountain, a man with leprosy approaches him. Jesus cleanses him of his leprosy. First time. 
in Jewish history that a Jew had been cleansed of leprosy. And Jesus right set history right there when he did that. He did that to that man. He cleansed him. And then he proceeds on down towards Capernaum. As he's walking towards the city, another man, a centurion, approached Jesus and asked if he would heal his servant. And Jesus basically said, okay, well, where do you live? And the man says, you don't need to come to my house. You can just say the word, and it will be done. And Jesus commended the man for his faith like that he's not, he has not ever seen in Israel. He goes into Capernaum. He goes right straight to the synagogue because it was the Sabbath. A man's there who's demon-possessed. He cast the demon out of the guy. And when the service was over with, the disciples went down to Peter's house where his mother-in-law, who was sick, and Jesus heals her, and she gets up and prepares them lunch. At sunset, many people were coming to him for healing. And it was said that the whole city was gathered at the door of Peter's house. Then off to sleep, they all go. Listen, a full day, a day where his popularity skyrocketed into the nation of Israel. And then the very next morning, here's what it says. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while, before daylight, he went out and he departed to a solitary place, that is Jesus, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout Galilee and casting out demons. So Jesus is up having his devotional the very next morning with the Father. Peter is, aw is awoken by the huge crowd of people and as they're because they were looking for Jesus. So Peter goes in a panic looking for Jesus. He finds him, and, and, you know, and the people are all looking for you. When he, that's what he tells them. Everybody's looking for you. In other words, this is a good thing. You know, this could be a great thing. Uh, man, let's just ride this way. This is what we want to see the ministry happen. We want to see it get taken off you know, from the ground up, and now we can ride this wave all the way to Jerusalem. And that's what Peter was probably thinking, that Jesus is going to go right with it and thinking that was a good call. We got the momentum. Man, let's ride this baby. But no, that's not the direction. Jesus says we're leaving and we're continuing from town to town. I don't care how jazzed up the folks are. And why would he say that? Because the Father has given Jesus in his devotion the tongue of the learned. Because he hears as the learned. I'm directed by my father, not the people and their wishes. And he received all of that there in his devotion before he headed off that day. He was listening to the father. He's communing with the father. The father was communing with him at the same time. Back in, Matt, back in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 5, it also talks about opening my hearing. Opening my hearing. That hearing part is when the Bible comes into our devotional life. For this is a supreme way for us hearing God. And that he is communicating to us as he sanctifies our ears. So the Bible, it washes us, it feeds us, it equips us. It is exactly what we need to hear as we start our day. We read it in such a way as in fellowship with God. And the Bible increases our fellowship and our communion with God. We're asking from God, Lord, what is it that you want me to hear from these passages? Lord, what is the area that you want me to focus in on and meditate on as I'm having this devotional time and reading your word? It's interesting, but when Jesus was tempted those three times by Satan there in the wilderness as he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, just before his ministry got started, 
It was very, Jesus always used the word of God, the Bible, as his means to combat Satan himself. And what's interesting to me is that those three temptations, the three areas that he actually quoted from was from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. It's like that morning, that's where Jesus' devotion was. He was reading Deuteronomy maybe 6, 7, and 8. And he was just fresh on his mind, ready to combat the enemy of that day. Whatever the day had in front of him, he was ready and he was prepared because he spent that time that morning possibly with the Lord. But it's interesting that those three quotes come from that area because it could have been fresh on his mind. And listen, when you're dealing with a child, not sure how to handle it, asking the Lord, you know, do I tighten the screws on this, Lord? Do I become more gracious in this with them? Lord, in what I hear from your word today, I want to apply that. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me a word of knowledge. I'm looking to you, Lord, for my help. I'm at a loss here in what needs to happen. So, Lord, I'm looking to you, lifting these things up to the Lord and then waiting for him to speak to us. But back in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 50, here's what's interesting. It says this, and this is Jesus and his devotion. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Jesus knowing what he was going to face at the cross at his death. We are given insight here in the price that Jesus paid in going to his death for me and you. What he was going to face in order to be faithful to the Father's call upon his life. The abuse that he took even before he was crucified. And so weighty was the price that Jesus was going to pay personally in order to provide us with salvation. That the night before the cross, Jesus cried out to the Father. That Father, it is possible. Let this cup pass for me but not my will, but your will be done. That was a morning prayer, a very early morning prayer. And you see, in the same way as God reveals things to us that we have to do in life in order to stay faithful and uncompromising concerning his will in our life. In our devotion time, that time can get settled before we head out to meet that day head on. To submit my will to his will before the moment of decision actually occurs. When we surrender like that, I'm ready for it. Just as Jesus was committed to obeying the Father before the temptation of opting out came. Like Jesus, we can choose to do that in devotion before it ever takes place. Why would God give us a glimpse into the Messiah's devotional life? I think we would never know Jesus like we can know him except getting to eavesdrop in on the prophetic Messiah and his devotional life with the Father. And this is where we get to see the real Jesus and his communion with the Father. And for us to understand our relationship with God is nurtured and deepened in this time of devotion with God. The richness of this relationship is magnified, the greatest in our devotional life. And if Jesus found this necessary to do each day, how much more do we find it necessary to do it also? And just a couple of practical things just to give you. If you don't really have a devotional life, I recommend that you pick up a, a book called Our Daily Bread. It's go odb.org. You can find it online that way. They have great devotionals there that can get you started. Also, if you've got a phone, you can use Version. It has some great devotionals on Version. You can get the app for that also.